Power Radio presents Art as Worship with Vanessa Lowry. Welcome to Art as Worship. Each week we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths, working in a wide range of mediums, on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the Universe, the Great Mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. My guest today is Reverend Michael Radford Sullivan, who's the rector of Holy Innocence Episcopal Church, an author and a sculptor. Michael is the author of two books and numerous articles. His books, titled Windows into the Soul and Windows into the Light, deal with the place of art and spirituality and how creativity can contribute to the richness of the Christian journey. He's been a featured writer for Episcopal Cafe and ExploreFaith.com. Michael often leads retreats on art and spirituality. In his spare time, he enjoys reading Southern fiction, cooking, exercise, and sculpting. Welcome, Michael. Great to be here, Vanessa. Well, it's such a thrill to have you on the show. We've actually had several artists from your parish on the show within the last six months, and so they've all told me how great it is, how wonderful you are, and wow. that I needed to have you on the show. Well, we'll see if I can, you know, live up to the expectation. Today. That's right. <laughs> so, how did you um, develop this interest in art and spirituality? Um, I used to be a lawyer, and you know, you don't think about art and law going together, but I went to a conference at a, a conference center up in North Carolina, walked into a workshop, and a lady took a look, just one look at me and said, you know, you've got these hands, very energetic hands. Um, I'd like for you to take a piece of clay and work with it and just see what happens. And about three hours later, I had discovered something that changed my life. And that began a process of becoming an artist myself, letting go of a kind of rigid regimen that I'd had as a lawyer in finding a creative side. Um, and, and I must say that I don't know who or what I would be today without it. And uh, that discovery of just walking into a room and someone willing to say, you might have this in you, you know, inviting me toward creativity, um, probably one of the greatest gifts I've ever received. So that's quite a journey to go from a lawyer to now being the rector of a mm-hmm. of a church and then an artist in the midst of that. So how how did that transition happen from from art to then becoming um, to going back to school and to seminary and becoming the leader of a church? Well, with a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, that's for sure. Because you certainly don't um, go from being a lawyer to being a student in a seminary um, and have or maintain the same kind of lifestyle. Um, But I always tell people the same thing, and that is that being an Episcopal priest and being a lawyer are are much alike, actually. In both cases, if people just live their lives as God created them to be, in in peace and harmony with everyone else, they wouldn't need us. But because we're all what we are, people still need lawyers, and they still need priests, they need ministers, they need shamans, they need people to help them find the path. And, and so really, in most of my life, what I find is that being a lawyer and being a priest are much alike. You're, you're intersecting with people in the midst of their own difficulty. Um, and I would say that if there were any common theme about my art and creativity, it has been uh, that once discovered, it became the chief means of my uh, personal spiritual journey dealing with difficult things. 
um, I was lucky that the woman gave me the clay the summer that I was going to seminary. And then I was lucky to find someone in seminary that let me work in a studio for three years. And so I was with a sculptor having a good time learning more about the, the, the technical side of art. Um, but it's the pivotal moments in my life where something went wrong and I needed something to take me deeper in my spiritual journey where art really served me well to help me deal with, you know, what life can bring. Um, so so do, you have a, do you have a story of how, how your art has expanded your awareness of God? Um, I've got lots of them. I, I guess one that I would tell you that I would um, highlight from... Uh, one of the books that I wrote. Um, when I finished seminary, the weekend that I finished, there were two girls um, that I had known in a youth group in a field education parish that I had served. And on a Friday afternoon in May, um, they left for what they thought would be a wonderful senior day and were both killed in a boating accident. Um, and so the weekend that I was supposed to finish seminary, that I was to walk with my class and graduate, I was actually in the midst of a town that was grieving and did my first funeral for two 17-year-old girls. Um, I totally forgot that I had pieces of pottery that these girls had created that had yet to be fired. And days after the funeral, I took their pottery, placed them in the kiln, watched it heat up, watched that transforming... Um, process and then reached down into that kiln to remove two of the most beautiful, organic, colorful, vibrant, life-filled pieces I've ever seen. And, you know, there are transformative moments like that that are in the midst of incredible difficulty, and then there are the simple little things that happen. Um, we don't all have moments in our creativity where we reach down into a kiln and remove the art of kids that had just died and then deliver them to their parents talk about transformation but but then i think because you have those moments you start seeing that those moments fill every day and if you pay attention you find them if you don't pay attention you don't find them it's a kind of intentional presence that creativity opens us toward um, that lets us find and capture each moment for the gift that it is. Um, well, that's really powerful, and I do think that um, looking for those moments, I think I think that's really true. What you said is they're always there, whether we see them or not. And you know, when you commented a minute ago about you were lucky, you know, mm-hmm. I think that sometimes we think of things as luck, where really, you know, when I think from a bigger standpoint it's you know god working behind the scenes to bring because this is what i'm supposed to do well there's a beautiful notion in which you know we can't see when we're human human beings we can't see the whole thing we're not supposed to we try to put ourselves in the place of the creator all the time and generally i think that's what it means to to really mess up to sin being the religious word when we put ourselves in that place um but when we are able to give ourselves over to something greater and I would argue that creativity is something greater than we are. Um, we begin to participate in a kind of spiritually led process where our eyes are opened and we might see things that are there that we would not have otherwise seen. Um, it's sort of like somebody that tells me, well, you know, I, I find it difficult to pray. And then you look at them and you say, well, how much are you praying? And then the response is, well, I, I, I find it difficult to pray. 
and my response is, well, how much are you praying? <laughs> um, this, this thing's not supposed to be easy. Um, and you have to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it in the same way that you have to keep glazing the pot and glazing the pot. And, you know, if it's a watercolor, you keep messing up and realizing that it's going to be a dark spot where you intended it to be really <laughs> nice and light. Uh, and then all of a sudden, sometimes spirit takes over and you look down and go, oh, my goodness, I couldn't have planned this any better. But if you're not in a place where you're discovering, all you'll do is sit around and critique. Right. And say, well, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't pray. I can't do this. I can't, you know. So it's an openness that comes from the, the creative process, I think. And too much critiquing can stop you in your tracks. It can bring everything to just a really, you know, dead halt. Um, if you're talking about creativity, I think too many of us have this expectation of what the norms are. Um, and getting away from what the norms are, whether it was the kindergarten teacher that, you know, looked down at the tree and said, well, your tree is not exactly a tree. Um, and that stopped the process, or, or whether it's later in life where, you know, somebody told you your idea of the color of blue is not a good color for your office or whatever. There are things that, that, that bring sort of a, a boundary to creativity that may or may not be helpful. Uh, a lot of my life as a priest is helping people see that, that boundaries sometimes are, <clears throat> excuse me, that are not great for the creative process. They're not great for our spiritual development. I mean, you can't be completely chaotic, but you've got to be open enough that the emptiness of your life, if that's what you want to call it, can be filled with something greater. You have to let those boundaries be morphing and changing so that God's spirit can change you, transform you in the process. So how does your spirituality find expression in your art? Vanessa, I think that's a a hard question. Um, For me, it has boiled down to, because I'm a really busy person as as a priest of a large parish with a big school, um, it's boiled down now to that I'm the guy with the moleskins everywhere. And um, I'm not just taking notes in minutes. I'm doodling. I'm writing big words, and I'm being creative on the page as a kind of chronicle of my life. Um, I try to bring creativity even into a business meeting, uh, you know, a finance committee meeting. Um, and, and I'm the guy that's over there trying to listen to the numbers while at the same time uh, envisioning what happens because of those numbers through a creative process. Um, so I'm the journal moleskin guy walking around with the pen and the pencil and always doing something that is visual. That's just who I am. I have found that in remarkably um, liberating uh, to, to embrace that even in my vocation. And I think that's true if you're a lawyer or a school teacher, if you're selling something. I mean, wherever you are, you can have a journal, a moleskin, and you don't have to sit down and write paragraphs. You can doodle. You can do anything, and it'll open up your creativity. And then the other side of it is I love in meeting artists, working with artists, working with them in the midst of a faith community, helping them express their lives and, and seeing how that plays out. And I'm hoping to enroll in a sculpting course in the next few weeks. So, oh, excellent. Yeah. Well, and I know that um, that your church recently added a whole wing that's kind of dedicated to art. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about and what you're hoping to accomplish with having that space with your church? Sure. 
Um, so we have an axis, a corridor that I would call a gallery, and you'd call it a gallery whether you're going to hang art in it or not because it's sort of a pass-through, and it's a pretty long one. And when we were in the design development phase with the architects, we decided that we would like for that to be a real gallery. And it is a very visible space to the street, has lots of glass. And we've had two exhibits now. And the in, you know, intentionality of having that was for the church to reclaim what has really been, I, I think, a maxim of Western civilization, and that is that the church is a patron of the arts that the church is not a place that is scared of the arts, but that empowers the arts. And we want artists in our gallery that will bring people to the parish, whether or not they're Episcopalians, whether or not they're Christian, whether they're just you know trying to find some meaning and purpose or beauty in life. And by having this gallery, I think we initiate a kind of invitation into a faith community that is without strings, without preconceived notions, without dogma or doctrine, but a kind of open hospitality that speaks of God's enduring, reconciling love. Um, And I must say it has been well received. And so what kinds of programs are you, um, have you been having with your space and what kind of things are you see coming up for this year? Well, you know, right before I came over to be with you, um, I was with an artist who was taking down an exhibit, and we have an exhibit of uh, uh, sculpture or or hand-built pottery going up in the next few days. Um, And so there's that wonderful uh, life that comes from having changing exhibits and new artists and art openings and all that we will have in that gallery space. Um, the other part of it, though, is that we are a school community, and so we are planning uh, events that would relate to the students and what kind of art that they might want to show the community and showcase how they're being led uh, creatively. Um, and then, you know, it, it is a pretty basic function. It's a corridor. It's a place you pass. And I would argue to you that the corridor itself functions as a prayer, and that we find now that people don't just come because they have seen a show and want to come back and see a particular piece. They come because they want to hang out. It's, it's a space, a sacred space to just ponder and to walk back and forth and to sit down then and have a cup of coffee or something. It's, a, it's an amazing space. Well, and it's amazing to me with art that, you know, what, what the artist brings to it is one thing, but then what the viewer of art brings to it is a whole separate thing. Right. And it's... Often not the same thing. Well, the old adage of, you know, you're the artist, you created it, it has your meaning, and then you share it. And once you've shared it, it's no longer what you intended it to be, right? Because um, we all, we encounter things differently. Anything that involves the senses will will be emotively felt on various levels. Um, that's why art is art. It's why it can be timeless, it allows the soul to express things that the soul does not know how to express with words. It in, invites us into a thin place. And any time you, in, you invite people into a thin place, you realize that they're going to bring everything into the cellular life of their being with them. And that will inform how they perceive, and then in, in, in my way of seeing it, how the art perceives them. There's the kind of communion, a kind of sacramental nature that happens with pieces of art, 
where there's a, a give and take between the art that's expressed and the person's reception of it um, that is beautiful. You can even see it sometimes. My favorite thing to see is a, a child in a gallery, and they walk up to something and it's like, wow! You know, yeah. have an instant reaction to it. Um, and then they begin to process it. And you can almost see their minds working across their face as they in, you know, in, embody whatever it is that's there in a way that adults, you know, we're, we're standing there thinking, okay, now how am I supposed to react to this? Uh, is this oil? Is it acrylic? You know, and then we finally get to it. Kids just jump straight to it. It's great. Well, and I love that phrase, a thin place, because I think as often as adults, we've, we've added so many layers between what we, what we feel and what we express and what we perceive right. that sometimes you have to get through those layers before you can even really figure out what it is you're trying to process. And kids do it so automatically. They do it automatically. And I think they're an icon for us. You know, they invite us back towards something. Right. That thin place um, phrase, of course, was used by the Irish a lot um, to describe places where the distance between the heavens and the earth seemed to be very, very small. Um, and I think we see that in so much of art because someone, the best artists put their souls on canvas or sculpted into the clay. And when you go to it, the distance between the artist and you as the person that's taking in what they presented is so small. There's a great intimacy there. Uh, I think that's why the church must embrace art in the 21st century. Our lives now are largely uh, controlled by social media, artificial, I don't, wanna, I, I don't know what to call them, but new ways of communication and looking at you face-to-face, looking into your eyes and into your soul uh, is something we don't do as much. And so the church must reclaim art because it, it allows us to say, here's this person that did put their entire soul into something. You get to glimpse that, and now, glimpsing it, you have that responsibility in the world to go back and be the authentic human being you were created to be. Um, that's why I used that word earlier, sacramental. You know, art becomes sacramental. It, it's not just a two-dimensional thing. It expands. So how has art affected your spiritual evolution, or how has your spiritual evolution affected your art? That's a pretty amazing question. <laughs> um, I think that if you were to look at me, I grew up in South Carolina. I'm pretty typical. I grew up in the Methodist Church mostly. Um, went off to college, not too sure about church anymore, but sort of kept a foot in, studied religion, studied Greek, all these things. Art was my method back to a real intimate relationship with God. Um, the moment that lady put the clay in my hands, um, I needed the connection. Um, I was tired from, I was on my way to seminary, very clear call to priesthood, but I was tired from the practice of law. I was tired of all those .2 hour billings and, and the kind of life that that was. And she gave me something that was an outward invisible sign of what my life was meant to be. And things emerged out of it because they just needed to emerge. And I lost control. 
and the process, the creative process, losing control, allowed something to happen in me spiritually. That initiated an evolutionary process for me over the years where I started to realize that prayer is not something that I just sit down and do by saying, you know, dear God, laundry list, amen. It is more a way of life and that everything that I do needs to be about encountering the created order. Everything that I do needs to be about an openness to the God's spirit moving in and among me and the people I encounter. And for my life, it's the creative process that most clearly um, helps define that for me in a way that does not become controlling, but in a way that becomes freeing and liberating. Um, So it's been a truly evolutionary process for me. It's changed over time, but it has meant that the spirit of my own Christian practice, because I am a Christian, um, has become uh, dependent upon the tradition, but not bound by the tradition. Well, and I, I think it's so interesting to hear you talk about art, and I and I can tell just from talking to you that artists I, are likely drawn to your church because of the atmosphere of support around creativity and art. And I'm also curious if if people that are um, members of your church have stepped into artistry and into their creativity where they might not have otherwise, even if they don't initially think of themselves as artists? I think the answer to that is yes. We see an increasing number of people that... Our parish has always had a tradition of artists, so that's, you know, just the great inheritance we have. But we do have a fair number of newcomers who... Um, are among us that are artists. It's an interesting thing, whether they're in interior design or whether they're in the manufacturing. Um, some dimension of what they're doing, if you look at it, is related to creativity. Um, the, the thing that's exciting to me is when you see, as I did just a few weeks ago, someone who is in public relations making paper. And they're making paper in silence for an hour and they come out of the room at the end of it, put their arm around you and say, thank you for this quiet, holy space. I haven't had this much time to reflect, to look for God, and I can't, you know, I can't tell you when. And then, you know, a week later for them to see this piece of paper that they made, you know, it's pretty cool. That is pretty cool. So I, I know that you're a very busy, very busy, very busy with all aspects of your life. So I'm curious how your ideas come to you and how you decide which ideas you're going to pursue. That's a great question, too. I think that the moleskin and the journaling, I begin to look for themes. Uh, I look for those themes that appear multiple times. I look for how did that word percolate to the top so many times in, in what I've journaled. And then I try to take that into a creative space. Um, whether it's a collage exercise or um, a word collage or an actual sculpture, um, I try to then take those themes and explore them deeply by the creative process. I take them to my prayer. Um, but I'm no busier than you are. I'm no busier than anyone else. Um, we all are busy. It is the, the permission we must give ourselves to use the time God has allotted and to not squander this great life we've been given. 
Um, and and I, I just I'm a real advocate for saying that if you're in touch with God's Spirit within you, even the task of day to day will be more creative and fulfilling. You will find uh, that ultimate uh, purpose in in the unfolding days. Um, and there will be less things on a list and more things that are expressed out of your heart, you know. Well, and I, I think that that's a great point. And I think, you know, just the example you gave a minute ago of the woman that had made paper for an hour, and that was the longest that she had set still at one time. I think um, sometimes we think the busier we are and the more things we do, the more, you know, the better we are, as opposed to allowing some space in our lives to have that connection and see where that leads us. Very early in art, you discover that if you go to something only in a technical method, you know how to do it. But if I sat down today with a piece of clay and said, okay, this is how I've been taught to sculpt a torso, I can almost guarantee you that at the end of an hour, I would have a you know, glob of clay that would just look awful. But if I sat down with that piece of clay and thought to myself, okay, you know, Michael, you're dealing with a, a little anxiety here. You, you know, you've got to let go of a few things. You've got to stop worrying about money. You've got to, you know, here's your list. Center yourself for a few minutes. Take the clay. Let's see what happens with a torso. Nine times out of ten, you're going to have a really powerful torso. And... 99 times out of 100, you'll be able to solve the technical problems with that torso. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll still be able to fire it in the kiln and everything will be okay. Um, There's a lesson in that for all of life. Um, Problems are problems. Making a longer list, checking them off, that's just not going to do anything in most cases. It's just going to make you think that more technical answers are going to help you solve the world's problems and you'll you'll end up wasting your life as mary oliver says you will just end up having visited this world um none of us want to visit this world we want to drink it in we want to breathe it in we want to let it be our whole life so i know you do some retreats and some workshops about art and spirituality what kinds of things do you talk about when you do those or what kind of activities do you do at those types of retreats um, usually I tell stories because I enjoy telling stories and because I believe that, that narratives are ways for most people to um, enter the back door and not, not feel like they have to have another list. If you tell a narrative, it meets you where you are in your story. If I give you a list of the ten things to do, then you're just going to start treating it like it's a business. Um, and so we tell stories. We allow people to let um, themes emerge in their lives from those stories. And then typically I do my first exercise almost at all retreats is a collage exercise. It's featured in, in one of the books, but I can tell you very quickly because anyone can do it. You assemble a ton of magazines on a table and you get a piece of poster board or a large piece of paper, foam core, whatever, um, and a bottle of rubber cement. You take the magazines and without thought or really any analysis, you start going through them as quickly as possible, tearing whatever image speaks to you, 
no no processing. You just keep going. You do that as long as you have energy. You've got a stack of things in front of you, and then you take those, and again, without thinking about it, without analyzing anything, you begin to assemble them on the paper, make a collage, and you then glue them in place, and then finally, when that process is over, you allow yourself to look at it. And, <laughs> and it's amazing how many times you find a theme and you find the thing you need to address in your life. That's awesome. So, Michael, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you and find out more about Holy Innocence and the things that you all do there. The, the easiest way would be through our website, um, www.holyinnocence, and that's I-N-N-O-C-E-N-T-S dot org. Um, you can find me on Facebook, of course, and um, on Twitter, Michael R. Sullivan, and um, I'd be happy to hear from anybody. Well, excellent. And I'm wondering if you have any last thoughts for our listeners about how they might connect their own creativity to their expression of their spirituality. Mm, I think my last thought is to trust yourself, to trust the, the invitation to the process and to trust the people that you surround yourself with that give you glimpses of the beautiful person God created you to be. When someone says something that celebrates your life, take it, journal about it, and enjoy it. If you trust that and trust yourself to celebrate it, unwrapping it creatively, you, I think you'll find that, gosh, you know, you'll be blessed. I love that idea of celebrating. I think that that's something that we forget to do. Well, we do, but it is what life's about. So celebrate. Absolutely. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Tell our listeners one more time how they can get in touch with you. Um, www.holyinnocence.org on Facebook, Michael Radford Sullivan, or on Twitter, Michael R. Sullivan. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. I welcome your suggestions or comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artasworship.net. Please come share your stories of art as worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash art worship. Listen in next week as we talk with another artist about their creative process and how it connects with their spiritual journey. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Namaste.